going to take a look here at 1 Corinthians as we continue on in chapter 2. And we're going to look at true wisdom. There's a, a news article that came out in 1993 of something that happened four years before. An elderly lady by the name of Adele Gaburi had turned up missing back in 1989. And her neighbors were concerned about her. This was in Massachusetts. And they informed the police. And a brother told the police that she had gone into a nursing home. And they were satisfied with that information. Gaburi's neighbors then began watching her property. Michael Crowley noticed her mail delivered through a slot in the door was piling high. So he notified the police and the deliveries were stopped. And Gaburi's next-door neighbor, Eileen Dugan, started paying her grandson $10 twice a month to mow Gaburi's lawn. And later, Dugan's son noticed Gaburi's pipes had frozen, spilling water out the door, and the utility company came and shut the water off. What no one guessed was that while they'd been trying to help her, she had been inside her home. When the police finally investigated the house four years later as a health hazard, They were shocked to find her body. The Washington Post reported that police believed she had died of natural causes four years ago. The respectable external appearance of Gaburi's house had hidden the reality of what was on the inside. (laughs) Something similar can happen to us as people. We may appear outwardly proper while we're spiritually dead. All sorts of religious activity may be happening on the outside of our lives while the real problem is missed. Spiritual death on the inside. This past summer, as my birthday rolled around in June, and I now can order off the back of the menu in um, Perkins, I spent some time thinking about how our culture has changed these past years. My conclusion was that our culture has grown increasingly juvenile, childish. Ironically, with all of our new ideas and our new discoveries and our new inventions, we have regressed in almost every way, materially, politically, socially, intellectually, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Ours is a culture that has become devoted to immediate, right-now gratification, instant gratification. It's a culture largely devoid of long-term thinking about life, in our, in our world, it's, it's a culture that's motivated by feeling rather than truth. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with feelings. But if that's what we base our life on, it's a culture that justifies blame shifting, pointing the fingers at others and not taking responsibility for things. By the way, if you ever point fingers at somebody, you realize how many are pointing back? (laughs) There's three of them pointing right back at ourselves. It's a culture that's willing to give bailouts and unwilling to accept consequences. And more than anything, it's a culture that's captivated by superficial appearances rather than the depth of truth. And while each new law we pass moves us further away from the historical, biblical truth, it's a culture that actually claims to be more spiritual And spiritually wise than ever. And while our culture claims to be the most powerful in the history of the world, we still see that it's not able to have all the answers for the abuses that are out there. 
we look, we sound much like the church at Corinth did. They loved the wisdom of this world. (laughs) The Corinthian Christians were claiming to be wise and powerful, but they had abandoned the cross. And as we read last week in verse 5 of the text, that the cross is where we need to look to. Their claim was to be spiritual without preaching Jesus. Their claim was to be mature without knowing Jesus. Their claim was to be wise without obeying Jesus. And when a church ceases to be centered on Jesus, then they stop talking to Jesus. They stop listening to Jesus. They stop learning from Jesus. We stop depending on Him. There may be popularity and acceptance, but there won't be any power. (laughs) There may be growth and success, and everything may look good on the outside, but there won't be any maturity. There may be charisma and excitement, but there will be no Holy Spirit to comfort, to lead, or to teach. Corinth believed that they they had outgrown the elementary wisdom of the gospel. Let me tell you something. We never outgrow our need for the gospel because we never outgrow our need for our Savior and our Lord. (laughs) Growing beyond the gospel is like growing beyond water. (laughs) We need water. (laughs) We need Jesus. And like all of us, the Corinthians' desire was to be wise. They wanted to have more insight into who God was. And I'm guessing most of us do too. But like our first parents, Adam and Eve, who saw that the tree that God had forbidden them was to be desired to make one wise, as it says in Genesis 3.6, they then end up looking away from God to find that wisdom someplace else. Well, in response to this, Paul, as he writes this letter, will define their entire concept of spirituality by explaining that the nature of true wisdom First of all, he'll describe that nature. Secondly, he'll give us the source of that true wisdom. Where do we get it? And then he'll remind them that there's a test for true wisdom. How do I know that I have it? Let's start with the nature of wisdom here, first of all. What is true wisdom? Look at verses 6 through 9 there. He starts out by describing that worldly, that human wisdom as a source of power to change and to save and to defeat evil. Paul completely rejects that human wisdom. Paul says that he imparts instead, as we impart the gospel, we impart a special kind of wisdom that's different from what the world can offer you. The world offers its own wisdom. And one of the things that we have to understand right away is that wisdom is not the same as just knowledge. Anyone can collect information and knowledge. Wisdom is the understanding that comes as a result of gathering that true information. Boy, do we live in an age of true information a lot? We've heard a lot of things, haven't we? about false stuff. Wisdom is the glasses through which we perceive life. Wisdom is applying what we know to how we work and how we relate with others and how we suffer and how we live. 
But the wisdom of the world is ever changing. Each new progressive generation flies past the previous one that didn't have as much insight, knowledge, or technology. And each new generation offers new voices. The rulers are out there. The influences are out there. The political leaders, social leaders, religious leaders, business leaders, leaders, even reality TV shows give information and offer wisdom. And left to themselves, what will happen to men if we allow those voices to shape how we view the world in reality? Claiming to be wise... Apart from God, the world fills up with adult-sized children is what it does. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with being a child, and we'll understand that. But there's a lot wrong with being childish, isn't there? Think about children for a bit. There's a lot of things we can note about children. These are some of the things that they're often like. Children often make large claims, don't they? Children always listen, right? (laughs) Children are impulsive. They're pleasure seekers. They're pain avoiders. Children speak before they think. They can be self-centered. They can compete for attention. They struggle with identity. They react. They can be emotional roller coasters. They can be foolish. They can be naive. They can be messy. They can be overconfident. Children are vulnerable. Children never complain, right? And children never make excuses. (laughs) Children can be easily frustrated, easily tempted, and easily frightened. And usually children often choose the easier wrong over the harder wrong. And children never admit that they're children. (laughs) Paul takes us to the mature wisdom of God instead. And he preaches a different kind of wisdom, one that's out of this world, so to speak. And Paul says that wisdom, that this wisdom is the word of the cross. And it's to be received by the mature, by spiritual adults. Now, don't get me wrong again. This doesn't mean that there's a group of spiritually elite super-Christians who understand more than the common Christian Or the simple believer who trusts in Jesus. In fact, it's much the opposite. Paul's confronting those who think they have it all. The ones who have thrown out the gospel as being childish and they want to move on to other things. The mature are those who accept the foolishness of the cross as wisdom. And they reject the wisdom of the world as being foolish. Paul contrasts the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of God. So what Paul says first of all here is he says that the wisdom of God is secret. It's mysterious. He does not answer, God doesn't answer every question we ask, but he does give us the answers that we need. God's wisdom does not always satisfy our intellect, our emotion, or our experience. In fact, God's wisdom often confronts it. (laughs) Secondly, Paul says that the wisdom of, God, wisdom of God is hidden. The wisdom of God is not discovered, achieved, or obtained by our own efforts. If God's wisdom could be understood by the educated and the powerful or the wealthy, Jesus would have never been killed. God needs to reveal his wisdom. 
to us. And thirdly, Paul says that the wisdom of God was decreed before the ages for our glory. Unlike the world, God's wisdom does not pass away with each generation. It's eternal. It does not change because it was founded before the world even began. God planned for his children to find meaning and to find joy and to find hope in the cross of Christ even before creation. In 2 Timothy 1.9, if you don't believe me, here's what it says. It says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages even began. In his wisdom, God planned for grace. And if he planned for grace, he planned for sin. God didn't have a knee-jerk reaction to sin. He had a plan. He planned for us to be holy with him someday. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. It got me to thinking about the Chronicles of Narnia. If you've ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the picture of Jesus in those things that are written by C.S. Lewis, those children's books, the picture of Jesus is Aslan, the lion. And he says this about the witch who thought killing him would end everything. He said, It means that though the witch knew the deep magic, there's a magic deeper still which she didn't know. Her knowledge only goes back to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked, sorry, if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim has committed no treachery, was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working. You know, as we go through all this, we think we are big. We think we are in control. I mean, just look at the planet Earth. <laughs> I would encourage you sometime, if you get a chance, to watch Louis Giglio give his thing about how great our God is. You'll understand with a golf ball and things that way. I'm shooting ahead, but we think we're big. But how big are we compared to the Earth? <laughs> And then think about the whole universe. We're finite creations. We think we know how God works. There's a depth of wisdom to our Creator that, like the ocean, cannot be comprehended by us finite men. That's where the source of wisdom comes in. Where do we get this wisdom? In verses 10 through 13, why does one person mature and another not? Spiritual maturity is different than any kind of other kind of maturity. Physical maturity happens naturally, doesn't it? As we grow through education, um, intellectual maturity begins to develop, we hope, and knowledge. And likewise, someone matures emotionally. As we grow older, there's life experience that's there. In both cases, though, we tend to naturally throw off what is, in our words, elementary. Whether it be ignorance 
or naivete as you achieve greater knowledge and discernment, we throw off the things that seem to be elementary. And the experience of becoming and maturing as a Christian, though, is totally different than that. First, Christian birth is anything but natural. Christian birth comes through revelation, through the Word of God. No one ever decides to follow Christ before Christ calls us to follow Him through His Word. And the call of Christ speaks life into what is dead and opens the eyes of those which are blind and removes the heart of stone It replaces it with the heart of flesh. And God adopts then as children by grace the foolishness of the cross then becomes the wisdom of God. And the key to all this is that the eternal spirit of God then comes to dwell in the believer. In Galatians 4, 6, it says, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The distinguishing characteristic between a believer and a true believer and a non-believer is the presence of the Holy Spirit who fills an individual the moment he believes. And as he resides in our hearts, he isn't silent. He isn't passive. He does what Jesus said he would do. The Holy Spirit helps teach us all things and remember everything that Jesus did and said. It reads it right here. All In John 14, 25 through 27, Jesus said, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. See, Christian growth is not moving beyond what is elementary. (laughs) But it's seeing and it's remembering what is elementary and taking what is elementary deeper into our hearts and applying it to our life. We're blinded by sin and the world cannot see or hear or imagine God's purposes in Christ. And there's a lot of spirits out there who propose to be God. Many men who propose to speak for God, but only the Spirit of God reveals the heart of God. There are things about God, thoughts and motivations and desires and plans that only God knows. The Spirit of God whom we possess in our hearts, if we're believing in Him, searches the depths of God. That's what it says. And it's only the Spirit that can. And if the Spirit knows the depths of God, He knows everything there is to know. And the Holy Spirit is someone received. He's not something or someone that we achieve to get. <laughs> we can access Him, talk with Him, listen to Him, be comforted by Him, helped by Him, and we can even grieve the Spirit, can't we? And the Holy Spirit is not like the world which is devoted to false promises of sin, momentary pleasures that lead us to sin. It's the Spirit of God which leads us in the way of eternal life. And God the Holy Spirit God himself desires to teach us and to help us understand everything God wants us to know about creation. It's fall, it's redemption, it's restoration. 
We all desire to be wise, to have more insight into who God is, what he thinks and what he wants us to do. But the question is, where and who do you look to first? Who do you look to most often for those answers? Being spiritual is not merely about memorizing enough verses, understanding more theology. Don't get me wrong, those are good things. (laughs) But it's not merely about that. And it's not even about serving sacrificially. It's about walking with and living by and learning from the Spirit of the living God. Living in, with, and by the Word of God. Let's finish this and let's give a test, so to speak. I guess, in a sense, John, there is a test here. The test for true wisdom. How do I know I'm wise? How do we know we are wise in the ways of God? Listening to His Spirit and not just following that little voice in our head that comes on occasion. Paul says that the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. Verse 14. For they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things but in himself is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. There are only two kinds of people in the world. There are true believers and there are unbelievers. The people of God and the people of the world. The natural and the spiritual. The natural man is the person who lives entirely on a human level without the Spirit of God. There's nothing beyond the physical life. There's nothing beyond our material needs. There's nothing to hope for beyond this world. The natural man lives only by the flesh, only by what they can see or comprehend, not in response to the living God. A natural man may admire Jesus, but essentially they believe the cross is just a little more than a tragedy. The natural man makes God into his own image and makes all the decisions according to his own desires. And the natural man does not accept or understand because he does not have the Spirit of God dwelling within him. The natural man is in rebellion. Emotionally, materially, intellectually, physically. Because he's in rebellion spiritually. And when the pleasure of sin fails to satisfy or the pain of sin causes suffering, they resign themselves to believe that this life This is life and that they're only human after all. But that's not life and our humanness falls well short of God's design. And of course, there are many who claim to be spiritually wise, but there are few who truly are. Rather than evaluating ourselves, though, and comparing ourselves with everybody else, Paul says this very thing to the Corinthians in his second letter, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 through 6. He says, examine yourselves. To see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. or Do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So the question then is really not how much we, how to gain wisdom, but it's how do we know Jesus Christ is in us? Or as Paul says, how do we know we have the mind of Christ? And the Spirit of God instructing us. The spiritual man knows that there's more to this life than living and dying. 
The spiritual knows that his decisions have eternal consequences. The spiritual man walks by faith, not by sight, and lives in response to the Holy Spirit living in him. The Holy Spirit takes the foolish words of the cross and makes them the core of our identity. (laughs) The world's judgment of our value or success is meaningless. Through faith in Christ, we've been judged by the judge as innocent because the Holy Spirit takes the words of the resurrection and gives us a hope beyond this body, this situation, and this world. (laughs) The Holy Spirit in us causes us to accept the words of the Bible as God's very words. And it becomes our governing authority. It compels us to listen to God. We submit then our desires to him, not because we're trying to get to God, but he's already gotten to us. The Holy Spirit in us fights against the desires then of the flesh and the temptations of this world, and we no longer desire to practice sin. Oh, we still may desire because the old man's still fighting there, but we have that new man within us. And we confess regularly, we repent often, and we rely on what Jesus has done for us. <laughs> the Holy Spirit in us leads us toward obedience. And the Holy Spirit in us gives us a love for the people of God. We don't sit in judgment on the church because we are the church. We love the church because Jesus died for the church. And the Holy Spirit even takes away our judgment of this world and replaces it with compassion for our fellow man. In conclusion, those who are mature, those who are wise, those who are spiritual want nothing more than to love Jesus and to make him known and to know him, to be like him, to be with him. This is not a new and improved Jesus for today's world. This is the Jesus as revealed by the Scripture. The Spirit of God always leads us to God's Word. Those who don't love Jesus could care less about Jesus, His Word, His bride, or His mission because they believe that this is all there is. Well, you and I know that this is not all there is, is there? As always, it comes down to you and me. Where are you and I at? Do you and I believe If you do believe in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. You're a new creation. The blood of Jesus has covered your sin. As we come to the Lord's table, even today, we're not only merely reminded of that, we're offered that gift again. And it's in joy and hope that Jesus gives us this through his resurrection from the dead. Are you wondering today whether you're a true believer Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. In John 1.12, it says, if you receive him, to those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. You and I can call to him today wherever we are at. (laughs) Oh, don't get me wrong. The struggle of this life will continue, won't it? But we have something way more. The wisdom of God. And the cross is that wisdom. (laughs) 
You believe in him. That's where it comes down to again, and you can call on him again today. Lord, thank you for your word. And forgive me for getting in the way at all here, Lord. Lord, may your truth go forward. You do the work in each heart here, in my heart. May we seek your wisdom above all else. May we seek you, Jesus, and what you did on the cross for us. Oh, Holy Spirit, as we come to your table here in a bit too, use that wonderful gift of your body and blood, of Jesus' body and blood today. May we know it and come sinners again in need of your grace. May we test and examine ourselves and know that you are the one we can rely upon. Spirit of God, call to each of our hearts again today, I pray. Amen.